Good morning. Good morning. Certainly good to be with you and to worship with you. Thanks for the encouragement and the enthusiasm that we bring to the glory of God. In pursuing this year's theme, Growing in Christ, Tim has directed our attention to what we just sang about, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Do we not have anything? Ah. Uh, this raises the question that I want to address this morning. And the question is, how does growing in Christ relate to the fruit of the Spirit? I don't think any of us will object to this connection. Growing involves fruit bearing. But I want us to dig a little deeper and to notice that one activity is in Christ and the other activity is of the Spirit. So what is the connection between what happens in Christ and what happens of the Spirit. What we must do is explore and understand better the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do that this morning. And I want to do it from the letter that Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit, the letter of Galatians. What Paul writes about the Spirit in Galatians addresses and answers the question that I raised and can empower our spiritual life. So turn to Galatians, have it open in front of you. I want to begin with the big picture. Paul had preached in Galatia, and Galatians became Christians. Now, sometime later, as he is writing the letter, Paul's disturbed that their faith in Christ, and he's disturbed about their walk with God. He's disturbed because someone came along and preached another gospel which he said is really not another, but it is a distorted version of the gospel of Christ, as he mentions in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. In particular, circumcision was being preached, that in addition to being baptized into Christ, a man must be circumcised to be saved. And Paul argues vigorously that this is not the truth, that adding circumcision to faith in Christ obligates one to keep the whole law, and this makes salvation a matter of law-keeping. It puts one under law as a means of salvation. He argues that salvation is a matter of grace, not law. He argues that it is a matter of faith in Christ, not works of the law. Christ redeemed us. He paid the price for our freedom from sin. He made it possible for sinners to be free and thus making them free to be what God wants them to be. He made it possible for us to be free from sin, so we're free to be what God wants us to be. So in confronting this error, Paul addresses two major concerns, and he makes one big point. One concern that he addresses is legalism, that salvation is by works of the law. Legalism says we're under the law is the way to be right with God. The other concern is license, that salvation by grace gives license, that license says that we're not under law and that will lead to loose living. So he makes a big point that addresses these matters. He addressed, the big point is that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and it involves the Holy Spirit. So two central themes emerge in his letter. One, that salvation is by Christ and the Spirit, that addresses legalism. 
The other is sanctification is by the Spirit and Christ, and that addresses license. So he writes a very important letter that we know as his letter to the Galatians. Well, let's begin with the first of these topics, that salvation is in Christ and the Spirit. And you'll notice that I have in Christ in larger letters and, and the Spirit in smaller letters, and there's a reason for that. I'll get on to that in a minute. That's not a mistake on the slide. Paul addresses his letter to Christians in Galatia, to people who are saved in Jesus. But I want us to notice the way he describes their salvation. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 3. He says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age. So that's how he describes Christians, that they have been delivered from the present evil age. In chapter 2, verse 4, freedom that we have in Christ, he says. That's what a saved person is. Chapter 2, verse 16, one who is justified by faith in Christ. But then come to chapter 2, the end of verse 19 and verse 20. This is one of Paul's most famous statements and a more comprehensive statement. He said, I live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus has a huge part in our salvation. It won't happen without him, without people being connected to him. Notice what's said here. People are saved by Jesus. He gave himself to deliver us from evil. Freedom from sin is in Christ Jesus. We're justified by faith in Christ. We're crucified with Christ. He is the one who lives in us. So I want us to see that salvation is accomplished by Jesus. But the Bible also says, and this letter says especially, that salvation also involves the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to salvation, Jesus did the major work of redeeming us from sin. But the Spirit has a part. That's why Jesus is in larger type and the Spirit is in smaller type. The Spirit has a part in this conversion. He has a part in our relationship with God. And this morning especially, I want to help us see how the Spirit is involved. So what Paul does in chapter 3 is take the Galatians back to the beginning of their walk with God to help them understand that salvation is not by works of the law, Paul asked two questions about the beginning of their salvation. Look at chapter 3, verse 2 for the first question. He asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The next question is in verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So by these questions, he puts the Holy Spirit at the beginning of their salvation. He assumes that they know that the beginning of their walk with God somehow involved receiving the Spirit. They began by the Spirit, he says in verse 3. God supplied them with the Spirit, he says in verse 5. So Paul assumed that his readers knew this background of receiving the Spirit. 
But I'm not going to make that assumption this morning. I want us to review the inclusion and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our walk with God. So what I'm going to review for us just briefly is the kind of background that stands behind the questions that Paul asked the Galatian Christians. So let's begin with Jesus' words in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. In those verses, Jesus writes, Jesus, John writes about those who believe in Jesus. He says they will receive the Spirit. But let's see this in the context. You'll notice in verse 37, there's a reference to the Feast of Booths. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Booths. On the last day of the feast, there was an elaborate water ceremony that had its background in several Old Testament prophets. That ceremony was no doubt done on the last day of the feast. Jesus applied the message of the water ceremony to himself and to those who would believe on him. And in doing that, he emphasizes one who drinks in and what flows out. So let's see what he said, John 7. Jesus said on this last day of the feast, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus said, come to me and drink. Out of that person will flow rivers of living water. John said the water... John follows with an explanation, which is key here in verse 39. Here's what John said. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what he said about drinking in and flowing out, John says, is about the Spirit. He says the water to be drunk and the flow that will result was the Spirit of God given and received by believers. But the Spirit would not be given until Jesus completed his work on earth and returned to the Father. That would be Jesus' glorification. So the role of the Spirit depended upon the completion of the role and work of Christ. So how did this unfold? That's what Jesus said would happen. The Spirit would be given and received. And it would happen when Jesus was glorified. How did it unfold? Well, Acts 2 tells us that Pentecost came. And the promised spirit was poured out by the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had been put to death. But death could not hold the sinless son of God. God raised him. And Peter explains in chapter 2 of Acts verse 33. He explains this way. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus, who was raised, is exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this is the Spirit given. He was given directly, miraculously to the apostles, enabling them to speak the gospel in languages they did not know by natural means. But ultimately, the Spirit was given to all believers to indwell them. Let's see how that happened. So Peter drew the conclusion about Jesus in verse 36. He said that all the house of Israel know for certain that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. 
people saw the point. They had put to death the Son of God. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said, what shall we do? Here's Peter's answer. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God's promise to you and to your children, even as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. So this is the Spirit received. Now something like this formed the background of these questions that Paul asked the Galatians about their conversion. He said, <coughs> chapter 3, verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 3, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? He was asking about their conversion, which he describes as receiving the Spirit and beginning by the Spirit. You'll remember maybe in Acts 19, when Paul came to Ephesus, he asked this question, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So we must recognize and appreciate the Holy Spirit's part in our being Christians. I'll have to say in our tradition, this aspect of conversion has largely been suppressed or simply ignored. Preachers and teachers have been concerned with claims, especially by those of a Pentecostal persuasion, of the Spirit doing more than the Scripture says He does. And the result of that concern is that things about the Spirit have largely been suppressed or explained away, rushed over passages that tell of the Spirit's presence and work in believers. So what I want to say this morning is, can we at least acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is involved in our walk with God from beginning to end? Paul says it was at the beginning when they received the Spirit. We need to appreciate that because we can sure use his help. But in fact, Galatians contains what we might call a chronology of the Spirit. We just noted that the Spirit is connected with conversion, the beginning. But Paul also includes the Spirit in regard to the end of our walk. Take a look at chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 5. He says, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And then chapter 6, verse 8. He says, The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap. You help me. You know what it is? Everlasting life. We'll reap everlasting life. So the Holy Spirit is a part of our salvation from beginning to end. And in between, we live by the Spirit. And chapter 5, verse 25 says we're to keep in step with the Spirit. We'll talk more about that momentarily. But before we get there, I want to take two passages in Galatians and help us see our salvation in connection with Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's go to Galatians 3 at verse 11. I want to begin the reading at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who has hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the, potent, the promised spirit through faith. So take a look at what Paul says. He calls Christians those who are justified before God. And God would be God our Father as he refers to him in chapter 1, verse 4. Justified is to be cleared of guilt. So we stand before God our Father without condemnation. How do we do that? Well, this brings the Son into the picture. Paul says we do that through redemption. And who is the Redeemer? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He paid the price. He bore our sins. Jesus, as we often sing, is our Redeemer. So we have the Father, and then we have the Son. But notice the next sentence. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing may come. He bore the curse that we might receive the blessing. And a part of this wonderful blessing in Christ is, look at the text, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now that's what Paul asked in chapter 3, verse 2. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now just a few verses later he says, in Christ the promised spirit is received. So notice the Trinity's work in our salvation. We're justified before God, redeemed by Christ, and we receive the Spirit. That's one passage. Now I want to take us to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. So we have first the role of the father and the son. Paul says, in the fullness of time, when the time was just right, God sent forth his son. Now we have something about the role of the son. The son accomplished redemption. He made it possible for the redeemed people to be adopted as the sons and daughters of God. Then he refers to the role of the Father and the Spirit. And because we are children, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you'll notice in this passage, the Father sends both the Son and the Spirit. Jesus to die for us that he might redeem us and the Spirit to live in us so that he might move us toward an intimate relationship with God, indicated by the intimate phrase, Abba, Father. So Jesus did die for us that we might be saved, and the Spirit to live in us so that we might be moved toward this intimate relationship. So this passage says the Father initiated salvation, that Christ accomplished it, and the Spirit deepens and develops it. So that brings us to this other great theme. That's what I wanted to say about salvation in Christ and the Spirit. 
that leads to the other great thing, and that is sanctification by the Spirit and Christ. Now, you'll notice again, sanctification by the Spirit in a larger type, and Christ is involved, but a lesser role. Let's see what that's all about. Paul has argued vigorously in this letter that Christians are justified by faith in Christ and not works of the law. Christians are free from sin, free from the law, free to be what God wants them to be. But freedom in believers' lives is not by means of legalism, but neither does it give license. And Paul turns his attention to this last matter in chapter 5 by addressing flesh and spirit. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, Paul had described his life, if you'll remember, in chapter 2, verse 20, the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. The free life in the flesh that we have in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want to do. No, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And the Spirit is involved. The Holy Spirit moves us to be the holy people of God. That's sanctification. It shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit has a major role in helping us become holy. Jesus is involved, but it is the special work of the Holy Spirit to help us be holy. And I want, to help, I want to help us see this sanctification in our lives. And to do that, we need to consider the conflict that is real in everybody's life, a conflict between spirit and flesh. So go to chapter 5. Spirit and flesh stand opposed to each other. Chapter 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says in the next verse, directly, he said that desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. The meaning is that desires that are prompted and promoted by flesh orientation are opposed to desires that are prompted and promoted by spirit orientation. So let's think about these desires. They're not desires that are having a tug of war in us while we're just sitting by being spectators. No, we're involved. We choose our orientation. We decide where and how we'll walk. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not allow the flesh to have its way. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've put something to death. I've been crucified with Christ. In chapter 5, verse 24, Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Near the end of the letter in chapter 6, you'll notice this in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and out of the world. So the Spirit is involved in this conflict, but we have a part also. We choose the orientation. So this brings us to the wonderful, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The business of helping believers be righteous and holy and good. That's the Spirit's special work, and I say we need His help.
In Galatians 5, I want you to notice that the Spirit takes center stage. In verses 18 to 26, nine verses, the Spirit is mentioned seven times. He takes center stage. I want to read those verses, chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, of which I warn you and have warned you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want you to see here that Christians are to walk by the Spirit to be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit is not some mystical experience. It's a decision and an action. A decision and action that's informed, that's motivated and shaped by the Spirit. God sanctifies us, but he doesn't leave us in what one writer calls a state of passive surrender. He has made us, and he has provided for us both salvation and sanctification. And he's made that possible through giving his son for our salvation and giving his spirit for our sanctification. Listen to Paul, chapter 5, verse 16. I say, walk by the spirit, and you'll not gratify the flesh. Chapter 5, verse 18. But if you're led by the spirit... You won't do the works of the flesh, but you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. Then notice verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you see what's happening here? What Paul is saying is not something the Spirit does to us, but something the Spirit does along with us. Very important. It's not something the Spirit does to us, but it's something that he does along with us as we walk with him and are led by him and live by him and keep in step with him. We have a part in our being Christians. Jesus made it possible. He loved and gave himself for us. We're crucified with Christ, and he lives in us, but we're involved. Chapter 5, verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. We're responsible. We're responsible to sow in the right places to the spirit and not the flesh. So, all this to come now to bearing the fruit of the spirit. Because as we bear the fruit of the spirit, we're growing in Christ. I want you to notice three things about this. The fruit we bear is fruit of the spirit. I want to give emphasis to of the Spirit. The fruit is what the Spirit grows and what the Spirit gathers in the lives of his people that he feels. Paul contrasts this fruit 
with the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are what we do when we're left to our own resources, and they're pretty bad. The fruit of the Spirit is what we bear when we keep in step with the Spirit. We produce the works of the flesh. The Spirit produces the fruit. I want you to notice with me that it's not only the fruit of the Spirit, but it's fruit. So what happens with fruit? Well, fruit emphasizes growing. There's a developing dimension here. The wonderful and desirable attitudes that Paul talks about, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth, that's the Spirit's fruit. The growth that occurs and the fruit born depend upon what the farmer does. The Spirit is involved and we are involved. Paul expresses this in terms of sowing. He says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We know the principle. The principle is you reap what you sow. So we must decide between flesh and spirit. And not only must we decide, but we must actually sow what we decide. We have to sow to the spirit. And then will come gradual growth. The fruit is born by the spirit. It's fruit. And there's a gradual growth. Bearing the fruit of the spirit is a process. It's not an event. It's a lifelong business, not something that occurs overnight. It takes time to produce Christian character, and we're not doing it all by ourselves. Listen to this. We choose, we receive, we walk, we follow, we live, we sow. As we do that, the Spirit indwells, leads, helps, and bears his fruit in us. That's our take home today. We receive, choose, walk, follow, live, and sow as the Holy Spirit given indwells, leads, helps, and bears his fruit. It's this way that we grow in Christ as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Well, thank you for studying with me today. I hope Galatians has been helpful to you as it has been for me. Hope it gives some insight into the wonderful thing that we're talking about, growing in Christ and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Well, we want to give opportunity this morning to anybody who wants to come into God's way and be saved by Jesus to do that. He gave himself for us, Paul says several times in Galatians. And all those who have been baptized into Christ have taken advantage of that. He says we put on Christ. And if you've not done that, you can, and we encourage you to. We've made everything possible and ready from our standpoint. If you want to confess Jesus Christ and be baptized into him. But I suspect with most of us, and we hope that happens today, but I suspect with most of us, what we need to do is understand and appreciate that we have a high calling from God, but we're not in this business by ourselves. We're not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing all, all we can by ourselves, but as we walk and follow and live. We have Jesus Christ the Savior. 
and the Holy Spirit who indwells us to help and lead and bear his fruit in us. And we need to choose that walk to keep in step with the Spirit. If we can help you in your spiritual life in any way, we're going to stand to sing the song. I'll be at the front. You can let those wishes be known.